The Power Your Advice podcast is brought to you by Thompson IM Funds, Inc. For more information about Thompson IM Funds, please visit thompsonim.com. Thompson IM Funds, smart investing starts here. Hello, and welcome to the Power Your Advice podcast. We are live at the GTE Wealth Forum in Las Vegas. The GTE Forum is an invitation-only event which brings together senior investment decision makers from premier RIAs with leading investment managers. The Power Your Advice podcast is designed to bring you new ideas, why these ideas should be considered, and how they can be implemented into your businesses. The Power Your Advice podcast is brought to you by iris.xyz, the most helpful place advisors can come to to grow their minds and businesses. This is your host, Doug Heikinen. And today, our guest is Chris Hedges, who's a managing director at MFS. Hi, Chris. Hey, Doug. How are you? I'm good. You know, we, before we got on here, we started talking about MFS, and I didn't realize it was 100 years old. Almost. We started the first mutual fund in America, in Boston, in 1924. And that fund, it's Massachusetts Investors Trust, is still open for business today. So we do have the longest track record in the U.S. mutual fund industry. And that's something we're kind of proud of, and it's a nice story for us to tell. So how has the company evolved since then in so many, I mean, so many different ways? Yeah, for sure. You go from one mutual fund in 1924, and it was such a good idea that it took us eight years to open another one. That's Massachusetts Investors Growth Stock Fund, which we opened up in 1932. Today, we have a family of funds that's almost 80 in number, plus a variety of institutional strategies, separately managed accounts. So we're, we're a full-service, full-fund family. You know, I would, I would define MFS maybe as a resolutely active shop. We have a very client-centered platform. So when, when, I, when I say client, I'm actually talking about the person, the individual or entity that invests their hard-earned dollars at MFS. We want to make sure that we're aligned with those investors. And we do that with a large global investment platform that is very much an analyst-driven platform. It's a very flat organization, so analysts and portfolio managers are really viewed as equals because they are both equally additive to the process of delivering alpha for our clients. And we try to align incentives for those folks, too, around long-term. A lot of people in the marketplace talk about long-term investing. At MFS, we've taken a tack to say, if you're coming to us to invest for the long-term, we need to make sure that we put together a platform that actually rewards that. So if you're an investor on our platform, we're really measuring your performance either an analyst, their stock picks, or a portfolio manager for their overall portfolio performance on rolling three, five, seven, and 10-year performance numbers. We don't want our investors chasing short-term numbers. That usually doesn't work out well for our end client. You are a very advisor-centric firm. Talk to me a little bit about that. Certainly. Yeah, we do not have a direct-to-consumer business, and that's intentional. We value what the financial advisor brings to the equation. Many times they are just behavior modifiers, helping clients not zig when they should be zagging, not selling at the bottom and buying some hot thing at the top. So the product set, as I said, is very geared towards a long-term investor. And it's a, it's a very easy platform for us to explain to an advisor and the advisor to explain to their end client is how it benefits the client from an alpha generation standpoint, from the standpoint of risk management. 
but you need to have more than product to be a, a true partner in this business now. So we've, we've had, call it what you will, value add, business building content, really in spades. Since the mid-90s, we, we had a program that we started in 1996. I remember because it was my first field meeting as a wholesaler. They rolled it out in Colorado. It's called Heritage Planning. And it really deals with anything that's remotely financial that might happen in a client's life. It was really designed for clients to help themselves, help their parents, help their children. All sorts of life issues, funding college, mom and dad need a nursing home, how to set up trusts, how to set up wills. All sorts of completely not, it's not non-financials per se, but it didn't deal with the investment part of it. It's more the planning aspect. So today, our practice management suite is really divided into three buckets. We have content and business development consultants that can help an advisor create the ideal practice, if you will, so kind of improve what they already have. Content to grow business, attract clients, and then, and maybe most importantly, is content to serve clients. It takes an awful lot of effort for an advisor to onboard a client. You want to make sure that you're providing them very, very good service so they don't find a better option down the road. You met, we're at the GTE conference, and you met with a full slate of advisors yesterday. What sense are you getting our challenges they're facing in front of them? Sure. Yeah, this has been a busy meeting. So I think there's a lot of uncertainty about the, the duration of this bull market and certainly about direction of rates. So while things have been so good, and 2019 is no exception, the market's up in the mid-20s, uh, even fixed income funds are up you know, 10 11% this year. So by any measure, it's been an outstanding year. I still think that the people are waiting for the, the shoe to drop. When are we going to get into a challenging market? While we have these tailwinds, though, I think clients become a little bit too self-assured and they start questioning at times the value of the advisor. Why am I paying you? I could just do this myself direct. And that's all fine and well. Perhaps that'll work for you, but what decisions will you make when we do get into a difficult market? I think so those are a lot of the discussions we have. How do I how do I insulate a portfolio or protect a little bit if we're going to enter choppy waters in 2020 or even 2021? You want to get ahead of that, but nobody wants to make that heavy-handed tactical move into cash and then mix, miss the next 10 to 15% up. So we've been talking a, little, a lot about how we can provide more defensive solutions in a portfolio while still have them invested in the market. How did you get involved in the industry? Well, as a guy that went to college in a little town south of Cleveland, Worcester, Ohio, I wanted to move to a big city. I grew up in western New York, and so New York was too scary for me, so I chose Boston. Heard good things, so I moved up there. At the time, I was an urban economics major, and I had a lot of interest in real estate gentrification that was going on in 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 cities and I had done some some uh, undergrad thesis work on that so I moved to Boston with the idea that I'd like to get into the real estate development field and I, I interviewed with a lot of well, a few folks anyway that, that were in those businesses and everybody seemed to want an MBA at that time and I really needed to go work so I, I got a very good introduction into some of the mutual fund uh, human resources departments through a family friend and found my way to MFS. And, and then it was the customer service route to inside sales to external wholesaling. And I left the firm for a couple of years and came back in 2001. And I've had a couple of wholesaling experiences and a couple of management experiences. I've been, I've been at the firm for over 25 years. And that's not 
That's not atypical at MFS. So what are you most proud of of the company being there for so long? I am proud that we've been able to preserve a culture that is centered around our fund investors and that when we bring products to market, that they are a, a solution that's going to benefit the investor versus just bring money in for a short-term trade, not really putting the investor at the, at the front of that. So we've grown the firm very intentionally. We could have grown it a lot faster if we weren't centered around the client and their investment experience. But when I started at the firm, I got a little final key ring, and it was celebrating our threshold of uh, our crossing the $25 billion of AUM threshold. Today, we're at about $500 billion of AUM. And what I would say is we could have grown that a lot more had we not been centered around the investor. So closing funds when they're getting harder to manage, things of that nature, not bringing the hot product to market. And that's a culture that we preserve today and I think has benefited our shareholders. With all the forces coming at advisors, value propositions, pricing, who knows who's going to get into the market, with you guys being so advisor-centric, you're betting on the advisor. Absolutely. As I, as I alluded to earlier, in times like this when you've had such a tailwind, people start to question the advice they're getting and what, I mean, really what, why they're paying for it because it seems so easy. Um, the advisor business, by all forecasts, will continue to grow because a couple of things are likely to happen. One, you're going to run into a rough patch and then people are going to run with what money they have left to advisor and say, please help me. I, I didn't do a good job at this. Or now, I have enough money that it, it matters so to speak, and I don't want to mess this up. I need help. So the advisor community isn't going to go away. If anything, we need to attract newer, younger people into it. It, it tends to be an aging industry because it's so tough to develop a client base in the industry. So I think some of the recruiting has to change, and the way we get people into the wealth management industry needs to change, but it is by no means going away. It's not going to be a DTC business exclusively because people lose the confidence and really don't have the ability to manage this from you know, the time they start saving to the time they start living off those assets. If there's one thing you can put your finger on for us to remember about MFS, what is it? It's, it's what I alluded to before. We are on the side of the people that put their hard-earned money to work in our portfolios. It's our number one to concern to make sure that they have the investment experience that they expect from us. So that manifests itself in the returns they expect, not having too much volatility, understanding the risks that we're taking on their behalf. If we don't understand those risks, then we shouldn't be managing their money. So making sure that we do a good job for them first. They should be front of the line. And if advisors want to visit you and find out all those things you have for them, where can they go? They can go to MFS.com, or if they'd rather pick up the phone and talk to one of us, call us at 1-800-343-2829. Chris, thanks so much for being with us today. Doug, it was a pleasure. Thank you. We'd also like to thank the folks at Discovery Data and GTE for being our gracious host as well. For everyone at the Power Your Advice podcast team, this is Doug Heikinen. Thanks so much. The Power Your Advice podcast is brought to you by Thompson IM Funds, Inc. For more information about Thompson IM Funds, please visit thompsonim.com. Thompson IM Funds, smart investing starts here.